you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy hellman hi there and great to be back with you again this week i am joined this week by a very special guest someone you guys may know from listening to previous episodes paulina welcome back to the podcast Hi, Betsy. Thanks for having me over. Of course, of course. Well, Paulina and I get to see each other on Zoom a lot because we work together. But for those of you who don't know Paulina well, please introduce yourself. Well, it's very nice to meet you all. And again, Betsy, thanks for having me over. Uh, So I've been working with the company for the last um, seven years. Uh, It's been a pleasure. It's been a fun ride. Uh, I've been doing interior design for a little bit over 10 years. I studied interior architecture and interior design in New York City. Um, I've done it all. I worked for... um, bunch of um, architectural firms. I did mostly architectural interior design. I worked for tile stores. I did kitchens and baths. I did top to bottom renovations, um, working for myself with my own clients. Um, And now we're here. Yes. Well, and guys, the reason I've asked Paulina to join me this week is because you guys have been sending in a ton of business questions. And no one knows the interior design business quite like Paulina. She's seen all different facets and worked in lots of different types of divisions. She's got extensive schooling in both interior architecture and interior design, as she shared. She knows every software known to man in terms of renderings and AutoCAD and all that fun stuff. So I can certainly speak to part of the industry, but as you guys know, I didn't go to interior design school. I've run an interior design business for 17 years, but I've only worked in a limited range of types of interior design firms. I worked with Tom Felicia, who's a famous designer from Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, but I focused on his high-end clients, his celebrity clientele, and then I started my own business. So really, in order to get that full, holistic view of the industry, I had to have Paulina join me so that we can answer your questions from all our different points of views. So let's dig right in, shall we, Paulina? Oh, sure. So first question comes from Millicent in Washington, and she says, 
I'm just beginning to think about what a life would look like as an interior designer. Could you speak briefly on what you find to be the most rewarding in this profession? Also, what are the most challenging aspects? Paulina, what is rewarding about this industry? You've been in it for so long. From your point of view, what do you think? Well, the most rewarding for me personally is that I get to be creative. So I've always been a creative person. Um, If you are a creative person, this industry will be rewarding for you um, because you get to work on all sorts of different fun projects. You get to work with different people. Um, So it's a very, very creative field. So I think that this is the biggest plus of the industry for me personally. One thing that I would say about that, though, is when I worked for a high-end firm, my day-to-day was not creative. Like the senior designer, Tom Felicia, and his senior staff got to be super creative. They got to actually choose the rugs and choose the paint colors. And I was pretty much just there to run and get them samples, to drive them to the showroom. So I found that as a junior designer, I was actually an apprentice at that time. I wasn't making too many creative decisions. I actually felt a little frustrated by my lack of creative autonomy working at a firm. And I saw that even people who were like one and two rungs higher than me on the ladder still weren't making creative decisions. I saw that I wasn't going to be actually using my creativity for five to 10 years. Is that your experience Mm. or were you immediately able to use your creativity in some other Right. I think it just depends on the firm you're working with. Um, Sometimes I think that happens quite often if you work for a larger company or a larger firm um, that you, you know, you you're on the bottom and you're not making a lot of decisions. But um, maybe exactly. Maybe this is just a choice that you make as a designer. Do you work for a larger firm or do you work for a smaller firm? Because working for a smaller firm will quite often allow you to have more um, freedom in making choices. Um, If the company is that is hiring you, is trusting your uh, creative vision and your choices, you will be given, you know, freedom of picking those tiles and, you know, creating things. So I haven't had that experience. Um, I think I've had somebody put a lot of trust into me starting out in this industry. I was hired my second year of college. So um, I actually loved picking up tiles and, you know, I was responsible for picking the ones that I liked. Uh, So I felt like I had that freedom of creativity. And, um, you know, if you are an artistic person, even when you start out, quite often you might be just doing CAD. But if you are an artistic person and you like drawing, you will enjoy those CAD drawings. They are actually kind of fun sometimes if this is your cup of tea. Um, I mean, it's a difficult program, you know, um, but some people really like it. I enjoyed some part of parts of it, right? It's, um, you're just basically drawing. You're getting to be creative. Creating floor plans is one of my favorite things to this day. Uh, I love doing it. I love digging in there. But it's a lot of math. And I think people get surprised by that, right? And certainly AutoCAD yeah. is a lot more technical and probably even more math. But uh, I do think that can be one of the fun, for me, surprises of interior design is that I use a lot of creativity, but I use almost as much sort of analysis and math. And it's the combination of two that keeps me interested. I think if it was 
purely creative, I may have gotten bored a little bit sooner, but I do have these geometric challenges. What actually fits the space? How can I accommodate people in their human proportions as they're walking through the space so that it's comfortable? But I think this is the perfect time to flip the coin and answer the second part of her question, which is what do we find to be the most challenging aspects of this industry in general? I think for me personally, um, and I'm sure lots of designers, <laughs> the most challenging part of this industry, it's um, the human relationship, you know, dealing with clients, being um, being somebody that, you know, builds that relationship with the client. And uh, quite often you're there therapist and you're the person to go to. So it can be challenging, you know, like any industry that um, that deals with people, <laughs> you know, we're just people. So, <laughs> um, so that is definitely the most challenging part. Um, and also, I would say, well, nowadays we have some supply chain issues. So that is a very difficult part of our industry right now. Yeah, I would say right now that's my number one pain point is, you know, the things I really want to recommend for the clients, the things I really think are perfect are not available until December or in some cases February. And it's so disheartening because I have to recommend things that maybe I'm not as excited about because they're in a hurry. Like I remember I was working for this client here in Westchester designing this beautiful basement for her grandkids so they could come over and play and be comfortable so her husband could have like an area to jam out and have his music. And I knew the couch was going to be a super important element. Grandma's going to be sitting there snuggling and reading to the kids. You know, her husband's going to be there with his guitar. And all the sofas that I wanted to recommend that would fit down her very limited staircase um, were going to have huge weights. And she's like, Betsy, I want to play with my kids this summer right now I want grandkids in the basement. We had to go with an Ikea sofa. Now Ikea has like two sofas I like. And unfortunately, none of those were going to work for her space. So we had to pick a sofa I was not familiar with and we got Ikea'd, if you know what I mean. So I think the supply chain has been so debilitating. And for me, I think the most challenging aspect is that this industry is subjective. So I create this beautiful design that I think is perfect and totally aligns with the inspiration images that they showed me. I feel so secure and so excited to present. And then they're like, Betsy, I don't like this. Now, luckily, that happens very rarely because we have a robust questionnaire that we have them fill out and we really want to make sure we're on the same page. But I can't convince them to like something they don't. And certainly I can give my insights as to why I selected the items and I can present in a very mindful way so that they're hearing my explanations. But at the end of the day, if they hate that piece of art, if it reminds them of some piece of art that somebody had that they hated and now they're going to have it, I can't convince them to spend $600 on it. And I don't want to. I don't want anybody having something they hate. So it's there's not a right or wrong. But you can feel so right and be so wrong. And sometimes that's just a dagger in the heart when you work really hard and you think you've got it in the bag. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. 
Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. Well, let's move to our next question. Paulina, you want to take this one away? Of course. Um, Our next question is from Wendy. Um, When working with clients, how do you work on boundaries? I have had a few run-ins with clients where they would text me and expect prompt responses. Is it better to just charge them more when that happens? You want to start this one off, Paulina? Hmm. Sure. That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so creating boundaries, it's, it's big. It's a very big thing in interior design, right? Um, I don't think, I don't know if I know the answer. I've got to the this answer, one. Paulina. Um, gonna, you know I that. feel like I do. I don't. Yeah, no. you do. Um, I think if this is something that is outside of the scope of work that you have agreed on with your clients, you should absolutely charge more. But if this is something that is within the scope of work that you have discussed with the client, then you wouldn't charge more. So maybe the answer to this is creating boundaries from the start, Um, making a plan, uh, having something to, that you both agree to, uh, how many follow-ups you're doing. Um, maybe you're just responding to emails and not giving your them your phone number, right? So you're not always there. I mean, you want to be responsive, but um, they also need to give you some time to get back to them with the proper answer. So maybe just creating those boundaries from the start would be my answer. Well, and I could not agree more. It's all about that initial expectation and agreement. So when your client calls you, when they say, I want to contract you for this project, I'm so excited to work with you, you have to make sure that their expectations are in check. This is how our process works. This is how I'm going to be working with you. If you need more than that, if we need to go back and forth, this is what that looks like. Because as we discussed in our previous question, this is a subjective industry. You're going to have people who circle back. And so you need to have a process in place that's been clearly agreed upon. So that way you can say, you know, per my original email, that means that this is extra time. Per my original email, we have this follow-up call included. I can't wait to revise this with you. So just always going back to what you initially agreed upon. 
So that way everyone's on the same page. And it's really important to get those agreements, whatever that scope of work that Paulina referred to looks like. It's so important to have that in writing because your clients are very overwhelmed by this process. This might be very new for them and they might forget what you discussed during your initial consultation or your initial phone call. But when you have it in writing, you always have something to refer back to. And then they always have something to refer back to when they get kind of stuck in the middle or what happens next in this process, they can just go back to that email and it's all spelled out. So Wendy, I think as long as you set everything up from the start, you'll have a really good client relationship even when things get rocky. Let's move to our next question, which comes from Sarah Lou. Sarah Lou is writing all the way from Bangor, Maine. She writes, when you plan reveal calls with your clients, how do you phrase or deliver the material to better help yourself get them in on your vision? I have on occasion had trouble explaining what my vision was to the client. This has led to some communication issues. So Sarah Lou is referring to that fact after you've met with the client, after you've decided what the plan is, what the um, layout will be, then you've selected all the items and it's presentation day. You're going to be showing your clients all the items you found for them. You're going to be showing them that beautiful mood board, that floor plan. How do you express all the creative ideas you've had in your head? How do you get them on board with your vision, Paulina? You got any advice? Yeah. Well, um, I think the most important part of it is not to send them the presentation before you get the chance to explain your choices. Um, so getting them on video, getting them on Zoom, right? Getting them on whatever platform you want to get them, if you want to see them in person or whatever it may be. But I think you have to explain your choices to your client while showing them the presentation. So they don't get the presentation and they just say, oh, I don't like this because I don't get it. I don't understand why you picked the sofa. I don't understand how this color relates to another color. Um, so getting them on that call and explaining your process of thinking is very important. And I think we quite often forget about this because as designers, like I put so much thought into why I'm picking this blue pillow, why I'm picking this color in, why I'm picking this fabric, right? But, and, and they won't know this unless you tell them. So when you get them on a call, you can tell them, hey, I picked this performance fabric for you because your dog sheds and, you know, your kids are spilling stuff everywhere. So I want to make sure that it's with you for many years and it could serve you well. Um, so I think just getting them on the call, explaining your thought process is the most important part. And then nothing gets lost in translation. And then they can see like, oh, okay. I got it. Oh, I see. So you picked the blue from the artwork. Oh, the yellow comes from the rug. Okay, I get it. Now it well, makes and how much often sense. have we heard Paulina after we present, after we show them the mood board and they say, Oh my gosh, I would have never picked any of these things, but I love it. And the way you explain things, it just makes so much sense. This is like how it should be. So I couldn't agree more with Paulina that you need to be in control of that presentation. You need to be in control of that moment when you first share with them everything that you found. And when you can guide them through all the way to that beautiful mood board, sometimes things just click 
and they can see themselves in the mood board in a way they wouldn't have been able to without your guidance. All right, let's move to our next question. Paulina, you got this one? I got this one. <laughs> so now our next question comes from Pam. Um, and her question is, what advice do you have for someone who has always dreamed of being an interior designer? I am in my 40s, was an elementary school teacher, and want to pursue my passion of design. I would say it's never too late. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> um I think it's never too late. I mean, there's lots of programs. We have an academy uh, that you could that you can finish and become an interior designer. Um, but there's also lots of other programs, and you know, you can choose if you're gonna go to school and finish, you know, a four-year degree or a six-year degree or just a two-year degree. Um, depends on you know how much time you want to invest, or you don't even have to go to school. Right, Betsy? Well, no, 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 no. Slow down. <laughs> so I think the key when you're in your second career is that you need to listen to your heart. If your heart has been calling you to be an interior designer, this is something you mentioned that you've always dreamed about. And instead you took a different path. You know, if COVID has taught us anything, it's that life is too short. Life is too short to not live the life you've always dreamed of. And I can tell you right now, you can make money as an interior designer. That's the number one thing I hear is that people don't feel they can make money in this industry. So they took a more practical path because they were like, I don't think I can really make a living being a designer. And Paulina and I can both tell you that's absolutely not true. We both make a living exclusively being interior designers. But the other thing is you do need some education. You don't need to go to a two, four, or six-year school, in my opinion, if you want to do retail residential interior design. So if you want to shop stores that exist, and if you want to work for homes and other residential spaces, I definitely think you don't need to go the traditional school path. I definitely think you don't even get the tools you need to be a good retail residential designer in a traditional school path. If you want to be a high-end designer, if you want to do everything custom, if you want to work on strictly commercial spaces, I think it would be a really good idea to go down the traditional school path. But a lot of people who've already been in debt with university and things like that don't want to cycle back to that. So as Paulina mentioned, she is my co-teacher in our Teton Week Academy, where we teach people everything they need to know to be an interior designer who works retail in residential spaces in 10 weeks. And it is robust. There are projects, there are quizzes, things like that. But it's exactly what you need to know to work with retail residential clients right now. Because I don't think, as somebody who didn't go to school, I don't think it's smart to not get any education. I had to mess up along the way. I had to mess up on people's homes with their money. And that's not cool. That wasn't cool. And it didn't feel good either. And it certainly compromised my referrals when I'd say, oopsie daisy. And then, of course, I'd make it right for them, which means I'm basically paying back to cover the shipping charge or the return charge, not only my time in planning those returns, but also actual money. Here's the shipping for the $300 shipping fee for the couch that doesn't work in your space. Uh, and so not only did I lose a ton of money, I lost a ton of good faith and referrals. And so I learned quickly from the School of Hard Knocks. You know, I would take my fellow interns out 
for dinner and I would show them my design plans and say, tell me what I did wrong. Tell me how I can work this out. Uh, I held my design friends hostage because I would drive them. They didn't drive. So I could drive them to their locations in the Hamptons and on the Jersey Shore. And they would pay me to drive them. But I'd say, you know what? Don't pay me. I'm going to talk your ear off during this whole drive so you can teach me everything I need to know to design for this client because I don't want to mess up. Is that the way to go? Absolutely not. Having a little bit of education and applying that to clients would have given me so much more confidence so much faster, and I'd be so much further along than I am today. So I just want to share with you that I do think some education is necessary. I do not think formal education is necessary. I do feel like you need some sort of foundation. But once you have that foundation, you can really fly. What do you think, Paulina? Oh, I absolutely agree. I think you need some education in this field, um, but I don't think, I think it's never too late, you know? So if if mm, you've always wanted to do this and this is your passion, maybe you've been decorating your home over and over, um, go for it, you know? Find the right path, um, see how much you want to invest in in your career, in your future, what kind of schooling do you need? Um, what kind of interiors you want to um, pursue and then go from there. Well, and on our website at the Uploft Interior Design Academy, you can find a quiz there. I made the quiz myself and you take the quiz to find out what type of school is right for you. And I will clearly guide you. The quiz takes two minutes. It asks you questions just like Paulina referenced about what kind of spaces you want to design. What does that dream career look like? I spell it out and I point you in just the right direction because I don't want anybody in the academy that's not going to get directly to their goal based on the academy. So if there's a different path for you, I want you to find it right away. And the other thing I want you to know, Pam, is that your experience as an elementary school teacher or whatever profession you guys have had before, whether it's a CPA, whether it's a physical therapist, the skills that you learned in that profession can directly translate to an interior design career. As a school teacher, you've learned to help present right? So you feel very confident in front of a crowd, telling them why you selected things, being in charge. That's huge. You need to have that confidence with clients. You need to be able to stand up there and command the room. If you were a CPA, you're going to know how to invoice. You're not going to be intimidated by spreadsheets. That's going to be a huge leg up. If you're a physical therapist, you've dealt with clients in distress. You can help them, make them feel better, you know, nurture them while you're guiding them. There's so many different applications. So don't think that your previous career was a waste. Find a way to channel that to set you apart. Like, I am super confident because I was a teacher. I've got this. I can present to you once I know the information. For me, I was a bartender. I can talk to anybody about anything and make an immediate connection. They walk into my bar. I know if they don't want to talk and just want their beer. I know if they want to tell me all about their day over three shots of tequila. I can adapt quickly to those personalities. And that's exactly what I do with my clients, even though we're no longer drinking tequila. So these are things to think about, but thank you all for writing in. This is just part one with Paulina. We have a three-part series since so many amazing questions came in. So stay tuned next week, and we'll be right back with you with even more questions with Paulina. Bye. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, 
you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MDCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.